And then I started learning about ADHD and I learned about the benefits of like bringing your attention back to the present moment and making time for exercise and creating self-awareness so that you can feel your emotions starting to bubble up before you act on them. And realizing like all of the stuff that they were talking about as like holistic, non-medicinal ways to manage your ADHD were also all the pieces of yoga. Hello and welcome to the Women in ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. This week I have a new review to read from Apple Podcasts. I love this one. It's from Cookie Mom 67 and it's called I Found My People. I came across Katie's podcast at a time when I was realizing how much my ADHD affected my life in ways I had never attributed to ADHD. Validation of my feelings and fears by other women who were experiencing the same things was exactly what I needed to hear. Women and ADHD is a great podcast for those who manage their own ADHD, as well as those who love someone who is managing their everyday challenges with ADHD. It's refreshing, reassuring, and so relatable to hear other women describing how they acknowledge and use their neurodiversity to understand themselves and operate in a world that is not necessarily neurodivergent friendly. That was so well said. Thank you so much for that lovely review. And please keep them coming. Either leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, or you can leave one at my website, womenandadhd.com slash episodes. You can find the link in the show notes. Okay, welcome to episode 18, in which I interview Tasha Post. Tasha is a certified yoga teacher and registered speech therapist. She teaches yoga to empower fellow ADHDers through breath, movement, and the occasional F-bomb. Tasha was diagnosed around three years ago at the age of 31. After listening to an episode about ADHD symptoms in women on The Current on CBC Radio. Since then, she has spent a lot of time figuring out what that means to her. Now, because we both love yoga and we're both instructors, we do spend a lot of time talking about yoga and geeking out over the ancient philosophies behind the practice and why they are so beneficial to ADHD brains. I think you'll really find the conversation interesting. I know I did. Uh, beyond yoga, we also dissect the differences between your public persona and your private persona when you have ADHD and just the sheer exhaustion of keeping up appearances of normalcy and competence when deep down you feel like a hot mess and a terrible person. I really love Tasha's perspective on all of this. She has a great story. You're going to love this episode. So without further ado, enjoy. So I have, um, gosh, where do I want to start? Because I feel like I have so many different questions for you, but I will start with how I usually start with guests, which is, you know, asking you about your own personal diagnosis. You were diagnosed three years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something around there. I'm 35 now. Yeah. So a little like three and a half years ago. Yep. Okay. And kind of what led up to you thinking you had ADHD and what led up to the diagnosis itself? Yeah. Um, so for like pretty much my entire childhood, I felt a little off. Like I felt like things were like different for me than for other people, but I could never pinpoint it. But I just had like my whole childhood thinking like everything's harder. Cause like I did not do well in school for such a long time. And I didn't start doing well in school until pretty much I gave up any other facet of a whole 
complete life. <laughs> like, friend, you know, all I did was study. That is all I did. Um, and so, and that's the only time I started doing well in school. And I couldn't really, like, like watching my peers, like, be able to balance, like, having friends, having a social life, and doing well in school just baffled me. I did not get it. Like, it was, like, this huge mystery. And, uh, but I had no idea other than, like, I had no idea what could possibly be wrong. Um, so, but I just had like this, this vague feeling of differentness. And then, um, I started, you know, I went through university and grad school and started working and I got, um, I guess the only way I could make sense of like my life, cause I, I always felt dumb, but I had good grades. The only way I could make fun of, make sense of it and reconcile with it was that I was just a dumb person who worked really hard. Like I thought I overcame my stupidity by, by working hard. Like that's the only way I could make sense of like the patterns I had seen. Um, so I went to work. Uh, it was tough, really hard to keep up really the boring admin stuff, like scheduling my appointments with my clients, getting to those appointments on time, um, keeping up with my notes, all the boring stuff was really, really hard. Uh, and again, nobody else seemed to have that much difficulty with it. And I thought initially it was just that I was uh, a new clinician, but then the clinical stuff got easy, like seeing the clients preparing for appointments and, you know, getting good conclusions, blah, 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 and good recommendations, but all the admin stuff stayed hard. And I had an assistant who worked with me. Her name was Sarah, and she's a very, very good friend of mine. And she had worked with other speech therapists before me and had made comments to me about weird things that I did that she'd never seen anybody else do. Um, and so, so um, I ne like I kind of put back on my radar that, yeah, okay, like I'm, I'm not... I'm not really quite normal. Like there's still, it got back to like that. I'm something's different about me, but I don't know what feeling. And then, you know, CBC radio, of course, cause you're Canadian. And we had, uh, there was a show, the current, uh, playing this one day on my way to work. Uh, they were interviewing there. It was just an episode on, um, women and ADHD and about why women with ADHD get diagnosed later and usually what circumstances they're usually diagnosed in, which is usually that their son is going through the process of getting diagnosed and they're like, oh, this sounds like me. And so I was listening to this episode and I was like, oh my God, this woman sounds exactly like me. Like she was a journalist. She had a good career. She'd always done well in work, but always felt like she kind of had to hide like her struggles. Uh, and she just kind of described like what goes on in her head and all this kind of stuff. And then I, I was like, this sounds like me. This is crazy. This, I had never, ever considered ADHD at, before that point. I just had like this differentness feeling. So ADHD was the first time that I came across in my mind, but I thought that maybe I was just, um, I was just making it up in my head for like an excuse. Like I just wanted a reason, like a, a way to explain why stuff was hard or why I'm lazy or why I'm stupid. Like I just wanted something outside of me to make sense of it. And, uh, but then I was going to an appointment with my colleague, Sarah, the, my, my assistant. And she's like, Hey, did you listen to the current yesterday? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, that sounded a lot like you. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> That's totally right. And uh, that was so, that was like such a liberating feeling. Cause like it was, 
I like I was like it felt really nice to have somebody who has like no no agenda, no other reason to look for an explanation other than she observed objectively observed my behavior and noticed the similarities between somebody else with a diagnosed problem. You know, like I wasn't making this up. It wasn't a scapegoat. I wasn't looking for excuses. This is somebody else who has no, uh, you know, like no, uh, like she had no, no reason, no agenda behind just telling me what she thought. And that was really, really nice to hear. I think the nice thing about that too is the fact that we so often get met with like, well, everybody does that or, you know, yeah. that's to- so relatable. So here's somebody who was close to you who didn't say, wow, I related to that. She was like, yes. wow, I thought of you. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't just like, oh yeah, isn't that like, I feel like that sometimes. Like she was like, that was you. That was you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, but even so it took, I mean, even after that, I think it took me like another three or four years before I actually got diagnosed. Um, Cause I think, I think I was again, so I, I did start looking into it a little bit more. Like eventually I like read a book and I listened to some podcasts and I was like, yeah, this really does sound like me. But then I'd go through phases where I was like, I'd have like a good couple weeks. And I was like, then I would like think like, oh, those past couple of weeks were just because I was having a hard time or because I was going through this point of transition or because I got a new caseload and it was just more on my plate or whatever. Like I could rationalize away things being hard before when I was doing well. And then when I was doing bad, I had no energy to do anything about it. So and I, I didn't know where to even begin finding professionals to get me a diagnosis. I like all, everything about it sounded so tough. Like I, like having, you know, like just like so many steps, <laughs> so many steps, <laughs> finding the clinicians, getting the money to pay the clinicians, filling out the paperwork, being on the wait list, following through with whatever appointments they forced me to go to. Cause you don't really have a choice when you see a specialist, you just need to work around whenever they say they're going to see you. And I just like, all of that was just, it just seemed like too much. Um, but it was getting to a point with my work where I was just not functioning anymore. Like I just, like even my, like I couldn't hide it anymore. Like before I could always kind of like keep it under wraps. I had this like facade of confidence, this facade of capability. And underneath I was just like weeping. I was just a mess. Like I was just like, had this constant state of like low grade nausea uh, this constant fear of being found out. Like I would get like, like my boss was the kindest person ever, but if he like asked to see me in his office, I'm like, I'm done. I've been found out better pack up my desk. This is the end. And it was just like this constant state of fear. And it got to the point where my colleagues were asking me if I was okay. They're like, I have been Mm. noticing you've been really bad lately. Like I'd be crying at my desk because I'd be overwhelmed from the number of notes I needed to write, but couldn't find in my schedule a time where I could sit down and write them. Or I'd have like clear my schedule, not book any appointments and be like, today's the day I catch up on notes and then get distracted by like my filing cabinet for the entire day. Like that's the important thing to do. Like what the hell am I doing? And I just beat myself up at the end of the day because the thing I had planned to do that was causing all the stress, I still couldn't make myself do. And it was just just wearing away at me. And uh, there were like points where my husband would, he wasn't my husband at the time, my fiance, 
<clears throat> would be really worried about me because him and I work together. And he's like, you can't go to work today. You're a mess. You need to just rest. And so I'm like, this is bad. There's a lot of people who are seriously worried about me. I should probably get some help now, like really fast. <laughs> and thankfully, I had had a, I had a friend who was an occupational therapist who also thought she had ADHD. So she had been like looking around for resources and she found this pilot project in North Van of an adult ADHD clinic and it was uh, paid for. It was like already, it was funded by public health and it just had a wait list of like two months. And I'm like, all right, this is my chance. This is, it was the only one in Canada and it just happened to be where I lived. And I'm like, if there was ever a time where I'm actually, where like an, enough of the steps have been minimized that I can do this, it's right now. So yeah, I got my diagnosis and, and the rest was history. No, I'm kidding. It was a big process after that. No, but it feels like there's so much um, serendipity in that whole process for you because like, you know, I felt like, you know, when you get to that point where you're like, people are worried about me, I need, so I need to do something. I need to take action. Uh, I can't stay where I are. I think that's where like, 99% of us get misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety and then totally. we go down that route. And so I, you know, I think I've been thinking so much about my own history with depression and anxiety, my own history with medication and how much of that, you know, they talk about it like it's a comorbidity, but it's more than that. Like it's, 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 it's like the accumulation. Mis- exactly. Like you can't have one without the other. So mm-hmm. much of it comes back to being undiagnosed, not being diagnosed. And like, you know, I've, I've so often said like, I, I feel like the diagnosis is the treatment for a lot of us Yeah. You know, in that, um, and, and not to undermine medication and all of the other ways in which we really need to structure our lives around this diagnosis. And, 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 but I feel like so much of the healing just comes from the knowledge of, of that diagnosis itself. Uh, totally. Yeah. You're totally right. Actually. I never really thought, it, I, I think the thing is, is I still owe a lot to that to that episode of The Current where they talked about ADHD because that's what put it on my radar. Like if I had, because I would have gotten to that point of like falling apart, whether I knew about that or not. But because ADHD was already on my radar, I was waiting to get a diagnosis for ADHD. I had been researching ADHD and I knew it fit me. And if I hadn't done that, I would have just gone to a psychologist or psychiatrist and gotten a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. And that would have been the end. And I'd still wonder why the heck everything's so hard. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like I've got all my answers. I have depression. I have my meds. Why is this still hard? Because I would have had a, just one piece. I think there was probably a subconscious part of you when you heard that that episode that like realized that this is what you needed to do. It's like you saw subconsciously you saw the solution and that's when it started to everything started to break down because you weren't taking the action. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't the body funny like that? Like the, Oh my goodness. It's so funny. Cause it's like, Oh, you're not going to take care of yourself. You're not going to slow down. I'm going to make you, you know, (laughs) I will make you. So we're breaking down now and I will not be repaired until you get the right help. And I'm going to sit here until you figure this out. That is, that's totally I mean, so much of so much of the work I do too is in the is in the gut, and mm-hmm. you know, following the gut. And I work a lot with like preteen 
girls, or at least I did before. I haven't done anything since the pandemic, but I was working with preteen girls about like the importance of that, uh, that other brain, you know, that there's a brain down here and it never lies to you. This brain, it lies a lot. Uh, You you can't trust it all the time, but this brain always tells the truth. And so like, how can you tune into that brain? And so I feel like, you know, a lot of the, that's one of those things on this long checklist of like ways in which I kind of intuitively started coming up with hacks to deal with ADHD before I even knew what to call it or even what it was. Yeah. And now I'm just like, oh my God, that voice is so strong in decision-making. Yeah. And and I, I give it the, the props it deserves now. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You're totally right. I think that things probably, yeah, fell apart because my brain, because something deep down really did know that this was the answer. And now you need to act on this. Yeah. I totally relate to that idea of feeling like something was wrong throughout my, yeah, I often had said like, I think I had an undiagnosed learning disorder. And so I was often like, I related a lot to some of the uh, dyslexia literature, which is interesting because you have dyslexia, right? I'm not officially diagnosed, but I'm like looking back at my report cards when I was getting diagnosed with ADHD and being a speech therapist and learning about literacy development. I'm like, oh, this is why like my learning to read didn't look like any like a typical trajectory of learning to read mm-hmm. um and and i have all the other things like the left and right that's very much a dyslexia thing that struggles yeah. with left and right and any of every other aspect but not officially but i'm very convinced i'm dyslexic well even just the rereading of paragraphs over and over again and having and you know so many of us struggle with the idea of like you get through you get to the end of the page and realize you were thinking about everything else but what was on the page but you were still reading it you yeah. know and and that's such a common thing with ADHD and i think yep. um you know, I didn't know, you know, I had such a difficult time reading and focusing, especially in university. And, you know, I had that same, I I had that same experience where it was like, the only way I'm going to get through this and graduate is if I sit in the front row center of every single lecture. And like, I devote my entire life to studying, you know, and that was the only way I could do it. I, so I meant to yeah. go back to that and say, I totally related to that idea of like, how can people socialize and go out and drink and then get up the next morning and go to their classes? Like I've just, <laughs> and do just as well as me. How dare you? I know, oh right? God. Who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> That drove me crazy. Um, I know, right? It's like, I, why am I the only one who's hung over constantly? I know, yeah. <laughs> I know. <sighs> oh. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it. When when people talk about like how we have to work 10 times harder than anyone else to do the same thing. That's what I think. That's what I think of, of like, I had to, I had to give something, if I really wanted to achieve, I had to give it absolutely all I had, you know, I really had to pull myself up by the bootstraps. And so those are those moments where you realize, okay, well, I can do it. And that's when you start to get down in yourself when there's these moments of, you know, not being able to do things. And then you feel, you know, you're like, I know that I can be productive. And so I've, I've said before, like, I feel like my entire life, it was just this trajectory of laziness and failure. And I would have these brief moments where I could pull myself together to get things done. I wrote a book, you know, I've graduated. I, I, when I did go back to university, I ended up on the Dean's list because I had no other life except for this one thing. Mm -hmm. And, and so these moments of like, I can get my, I can get my act together, but I have no idea like what factors lead me to actually do those things. And so, you know, you generally feel like your default state is laziness Yes, and, and why, you know, so many of us have such a hard time with rest, you know, because we, we feel fundamentally lazy and, um, 
So I wanted to talk to you about that because I feel like yoga is so, I mean, yoga is one of those things that I discovered in university and it was like euphoric and I, and, um, it's been part of my life for so long. And then I, I got my teaching certification. I started last September. And so halfway through the certification, we ended up having to go remote. Uh. And so I finished the last certification remote. And, um, it was, it was interesting to me because it just brought so much home in terms of like my own relationship with rest and how I had such a difficult time being okay with it, you know, mm-hmm. um, before my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I think now so much of my self-talk has changed. Yeah. In terms of like why I need to rest and be like, well, no, you're, you're crashing because you just spent like three straight days researching, you know, uh, monolithic prehistoric structures in <laughs> Scotland or whatever it was you were hyper-focusing about that day. You know? <laughs> like, um, so like, I, I feel like my relationship with rest has changed drastically um, yeah. since my diagnosis. So I yeah. wanted, I don't know what my question is. I think I want to talk to you about yoga in general and, sure. and um, how, you know, how, what has your relationship been over the years pre and post diagnosis? How did you discover it? How, what is it? How did it become such a big part of your life? Well, it started, so I've been practicing yoga for about 15 years now. I think I started when I was in my second year of university and I was a mess because I, you know, like the way I adapted in high school to get good enough grades to get to university was to just work my ass off. And then in university that goes up like tenfold. So I, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping. I had lost so much weight cause I just was not eating. And, uh, my, and it wasn't like an eating disorder. It was just like, I don't have time. I have shit to learn. I cannot take a break for food. It was like such a waste of time in my head to eat or sleep. And my dad, (laughs) my dad was like, you should probably try yoga. You need to calm the hell down. And I was like, what yoga? Like in my, cause I was, my family is very, my dad's like this stoic German and we're like very science-based and you know like we're not touchy-feely and and to me yoga seemed like a very touchy-feely thing so it was super weird to me that my dad would suggest this super odd but because he suggested it I was like there must be something to it then because if my dad is willing to believe in touchy-feely stuff there must be something to it so I started going and you know honestly (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge breakthrough type. Like it was like in the basement at the university of Guelph in this carpeted weird area. It was a super weird atmosphere. It was <laughs> odd, but it was actually the first time I had carved out an hour of time to myself and kept to it time to do something other than study that moved my body and made me breathe. And that made a big difference in itself. And uh, then I moved to Vancouver and Vancouver in Canada is like the yoga capital of the country. And it was just kind of, I kind of started taking yoga in Vancouver, like in jest, you know, like when in Rome, like I might as well, like just fully dive into the West coast stereotype. So I did. And yoga over there was like 
there was a lot more theory to it. There was a lot more philosophy to it. There was a lot more emphasis on the breath and, and everything else. Um, but I was still coming from a very skeptical perspective. Um, so for the longest time, it really was just exercise. That's all it was to me was just exercise. And then, but I'm, I happened to be good at some of like the challenging poses, arm balances and stuff, which was super fun and nice and confidence building for me, which was important because I had no confidence. I was pretty convinced I was pretty shitty at everything. And it was nice to have something that like I thought I was good at. And then I did my, sorry, this is a big tangent. This is not an easy answer. This is a whole tale. <laughs> this is really interesting to me because I was thinking like, I've often said like, if I wasn't naturally flexible, I never would have stuck with yoga because I tend to have that relationship with things. If like, I'm not immediately good at them, oh, same, I, yeah. I drop them. And so I'm, you know, and it, and so, so many people who are like, I'm not flexible. I, sh I don't like yoga. And you're like, you're actually the person who should be taking yoga. Yes. Yeah, totally, <laughs> so it's interesting. Totally. To, I've never made that connection before of like how important it is to feel good at things yes. when you have ADHD because yes. we so often feel so like bad. we're bad at things. <laughs> yeah. And it was nice to feel, you know, like a natural, like I know because now my understanding of yoga is so much deeper. I realize how inaccurate that statement is to be a natural at yoga because there's so many other facets, but um, to be good at the physical practice helped me build some confidence. And it, again, helped me carve time into my schedule that was really just for me. And then I did my master's on mindfulness and stuttering. So I had a case study and I did mindfulness practices with, for my master's degree. And that was my first introduction to mindfulness in a way that broke it down in, a, in, a, in components I could understand. And that's when I started actually taking a look at the other aspects of yoga and understanding that it isn't just exercise. Actually, that's a very teeny tiny part of yoga. And yoga as a whole is really a whole lifestyle. And then, and so I, that gave me more respect for the other like fluffier aspects of yoga that I always like rolled my eyes at before. And then I, and then I started learning about ADHD and I learned about the benefits of like bringing your attention back to the present moment and making time for exercise and creating self-awareness so that you can feel your emotions starting to bubble up before you act on them and realizing like all of the stuff that they were talking about as like holistic non-medicinal ways to manage your ADHD were also all the pieces of yoga and even, and, then, and then I decided to do my training, which then just confirmed to me all the things I was getting an inkling of all along. Because in yoga, there's like the eight limbs of yoga. Uh, and the first two are just the first two limbs. So there's different pathways to like, uh, to a yogic life, to being like enlightened, as they would say, I guess, uh, which can mean whatever to so many different people, different things to different people. But um, the first two limbs, the first is yamas, which are restraints and how to behave with others and yourself. And then the yet, the next one are observances is how to have self-discipline. So relevant and resonated so much with ADHD. Like the very first fundamental one is ahimsa, which is non-harming. And the, the only way you can not, you need, and that's not even just not physically hurting people. It is not 
mentally hurting them like and not mentally hurting yourself like that's i mean like so much of managing like cbt uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is about being aware of your thoughts and noticing what's true and what's not and how they're hurting you like that's ahimsa that's mm -hmm. non-harming yeah and the only and in order to observe like in order to behave kindly and patiently with people around you is to make sure that you're also coming from a place of kindness and ADHDers are so good at beating themselves up and we are so good at punishing ourselves so good at it mm -hmm. because for the longest time we think that that's the only way we can get our asses in gear to do freaking anything and the only way we'll learn any lessons you know like I the only way I'll learn from this is if I hold it over my head forever so if I ever doubt that I don't need to write this down or I don't need to whatever. I have this proof to show me what a mess up I am. You know, like it's so mean, but we do it. And in yoga, like I said, like the very first thing they teach is ahimsa, non-harming. That's the fun, everything else is based on top of that. And then the next is satya, which is truthfulness, which is being not just not lying, but knowing who you freaking are and showing up as the same person no matter the context. And ADHDers, we are so good at masking because we think we have to hide. So we think that we have so much that is worth being ashamed of. And then when we hide that, we're not being truthful. That's not Satya. So when I did my training, I was just like mind blown after mind blowing in situations. I'm like, this is so relevant to ADHD in so many ridiculous ways. We need to know this. Yeah. So, like, so that's why, and that was only like, I did my training in from 2008 to 2009, or sorry, 2008, 2018, very recent, 2018 to 2019. And the whole, so I was like, I had my diagnosis by then. I had more information about ADHD. I had more information about strategies. And then to see how, AD, how yoga fit into all of that just blew my mind day after day after day after day. Yeah. The, the Niyama that, what, that I related to the most was Santosha because yeah. uh, and that was another, that like I had so many mind blowing moments with that one, just in terms of, con you know, contentment, being at peace with what is and, um, except, you know, that just like total acceptance, which I think yeah. was so important to me and my, you know, I, I incorporate yoga a lot with, uh, with my clients in terms of just body acceptance and mm -hmm. kind of bringing yourself back to the body and, and just reminding yourself that there's something below your neck, you know? Yeah. And so I yeah. guess even when I was talking about the gut as that other brain, now it, I'm, it never occurred to me before that like why that is so important to me is because it's, you know, maybe my brain and how it works has always kind of felt uh, betray, you know, I felt betrayed by it. And so this is like this one thing that everything below the waist or everything below the neck you is something trust. that is trusting, you know, that yeah. you can trust or is trustworthy. And it's just all it's doing is, is trying to heal you. And yeah. you know, like all, you know, it's one job is to like, make you feel better and to help yeah. you. And no matter how much shit you pour on yourself or whatever toxins you're putting in your body or whatever you're doing, you know, all of these ways in which you heap hate upon your body. It's like, all yeah. it does is like, I'm just going to keep chugging. I'm just yeah. going to keep healing. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and I never yeah. thought about how important that was as a concept to me living with a brain that really just sort of feels defective. Um, yeah. 
And yeah. uh, so that was like Santosha was one of those niyamas that I was just like felt deeply. Yes, I know. I'm going through them right now in my classes. So like I have a book. So I'm like every week re I've read this book like two or three times when yeah, two two or three times already. So I'm going through it like a fourth time. And every time I'm just like, yes, like this makes so much sense. The world yeah. needs to know this. But yeah, it's and it's that's funny because like it's thousands, like that wisdom is like thousands of years old. But yeah. the themes echoed in those teachings are like in every freaking self-help book I've ever read. And they're talking about them like they're new ideas. And mm-hmm. they're not. Like we just, you know, our attention with the other shinier things I guess at that point we kind of forgot all these important lessons well that were no discovered I think we just need to ago. be reminded over and over and over and over again and that's something else that I sort of feel like I'm okay with now now that I understand yeah yeah <laughs> that's know, true the like yeah. uh, working memory and how that is how that operates and how I'm like okay no wonder I need to <laughs> you know have certain like you know it's kind of nice because you can you can reread things if yeah. you ever actually get to I know that's really hard for us to go back and reread anything because yeah. it's not new but like the the way in which things can occur to you for the first time in in such a novel way when you're sort of like I guess everybody else knows this but like I suddenly right now today it's like I get it yeah (laughs) yeah like it hit me yeah totally or even like because of our memory like even stuff that we did get before we do have like you said like we just have to relearn it I joke with my husband I'm like life is so exciting I'm discovering the same things for the first time all the time (laughs) it's so great (laughs) it's like do you remember short-term memory man from SNL do you remember Tom Hanks Tom Hanks used to have this character that was called Mr. Short-Term Memory where he just immediately forgot everything and it was was the best skits because he'd be like whose wallet is this and his friend is like it's yours and he's like it is now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anything that Tom Hanks touches. I, mean, I know, right? It's so, true. Yeah. <laughs> so now you market your, you do online classes and you sort of mm-hmm. market them as ADHD friendly classes, which I love. And what I think about, you know, when I think about like what I like in a, in a yoga class when it comes to postures, like I like to be told ahead of time what's coming up. Yeah. And so like when I'm teaching, like I always, you know, I have a hard time when you're just sort of like, some teachers will kind of tell you like, as you're moving into this pose, what you're doing. And I get very confused and frustrated and like, I lose my balance. And so I like to be told like, okay, coming up, we're going to be doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. And, and I, so I noticed like I do that when I'm teaching um, and I get really frustrated. <laughs> I'm not really frustrated. I mean, I'm still in the flow, but like what I, I like to have sequences, you know, left and right fairly, fairly quickly, you know, like, yes. I don't like when there's too much happening on the left side and then we do something else and then we don't go to the right side. You know, like I, I feel like I'm very particular about flow. And, uh, and so I'm like now realizing that like, Oh, I, I see now why I have those peculiarities or particularities when it comes to like my flow. And so I'm, what is, what is ADHD friendly yoga to you? Well, to me, like it's developing, it's being more, it's being more, Uh, authentic to the original teaching of yoga, like trying to weave in more of that philosophy as it relates to people with ADHD. So I try to relate the yamas and niyamas. Um, And I also try to put a lot of emphasis on, um, uh, put a lot of emphasis on like creating body awareness, you know, because like we, 
like we're sometimes like so in our head, like you said, like we forget there's anything from the neck down and to draw people's attention back to the present moment, feeling things that they're supposed to feel in their body and also creating a space where like, you know, doing it differently is okay. Like here are some options because like as ADHDers, we have to do so many things differently Mm. and to not have shame around that. So like giving them options for poses and using props and using blocks and like not making that mean anything. This is just what your body needs and that's it. There's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, and uh, I try to, so like what, what I was taught in my yoga teacher training is to always have like a teaching, like to have a theme that's called, um, we call it a centering. And so I usually teach some kind of like life lesson I've learned in my journey of ADHD and relate it to a philosophical teaching of yoga and then tell them how they're going to feel that in their body. Like, you know, today is about, like, I'll tell them about a lesson I learned about being courageous and what courage feels like in my body and then how we're going to create courage in our body by building up to this pose or by creating you know, giving poses that pull into midline that make you feel stable and strong. You know, like I try to physicalize the concepts so they can feel them and bring them out of their head and into their body or vice versa. So that's how I try to make the like ADHD classes and I relate them to the struggles that we very commonly go through. Yeah, I like that. I I think even with I talk a lot about breath too, um, and and especially the extended exhale. I think the extended exhale is like so central to my life. It's helped me so much with yeah. with my anxiety and sort of again like I just think I just really like geek out about the science about the extended exhale and the vagus nerve and yeah. like how you can kind of really like actively trick your body into thinking it's safe when it's decided something in your, out. your yeah. wiring <laughs> has decided that you're having an anxiety attack that you could actually be like, no, I'm at the wheel and mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to fix it really quickly. And so I love that. And, and, um, the other thing I talk a lot about is that is meditation and being in the present tense Mm -hmm. and how I think some people with ADHD tend to exist in the past or the present or the past and the future at all times. Either we're, either we're we're regretful and we're ruminating and we um, are are beating ourselves up over something that has happened or we're having anxiety about the future. And like none of those negative emotions exist in the present tense. Yeah. And it's such a like lovely, simple concept to me. And, And I, so I feel like I go back to that a lot. In, yeah. in just building the present tense muscle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, just like you would build any muscle. Like this is, even if you only spend a few moments here each day, it's like each time you go back to the present tense, you're building that muscle that you can, you can find that piece yeah. so much faster the next time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, you, you said something that like triggered something, something I wanted to say. <laughs> now I don't remember what it was. Damn it. Wait, was it about the, it was it about breath or was it about, I think it was, oh, I think, I think it was just, uh, I was rambling a lot. Oh no, we both are. It's (laughs) fine. It's kind of what we do. Uh, but it was, I think when you said like 88 years, we spent a lot of time in the future or the past. And I feel like we also spend a lot of time in other people's business, you know, like, you know, like thinking about like what other people, how other people are interpreting the things that we do and how they misinterpreted this, you know, like we're in other people's heads, not Mm. even just ours. 
We're trying to jump in other people's and that causes so much distress too. I think that goes back to just generally feeling so misunderstood through life mm-hmm. and, and back to what we were saying earlier about like feeling like you, you somehow need to manage how people are relating to you or reacting to you because it just always feels like something is going wrong. <laughs> totally. Or you have to explain. Cause like, you know, like, cause we, you know, I was late for things all the time, still am. I just have fewer places to be because of COVID now. So I'm never late because I'm always <laughs> exactly where I need to be. But before, before all of this, like I was late all the time. And I would see so many things on, like people would post things on Facebook. I don't even, like memes, I guess. Like somebody who's late doesn't respect your time. They don't respect you as a person. Like shit like that all the time. And because I had, because pre-diagnosis, I had no other explanation as to why I was late all the time. I started internalizing that. I started thinking like, maybe I just don't care about anybody. Like, and I've heard, you know, like people are like, people would say that to me, you don't care about anybody but you. And I would feel like deep down that's not true because I hated being late and I was embarrassed by being late and I was ashamed when I was late. But I mean, if I really cared, wouldn't I be there on time? It's not that hard. Mm. (laughs) So I heard. So I internalized that a lot. And uh, before my diagnosis, I had no explanation for it at all. I do the same. I I often felt that way when it came to conversations because I, you know, I also struggle with feeling like a terrible friend with anyone who is not immediately in front of me mm-hmm. uh, or like in my life on a regular basis. And yes. so, um, and I really, really value one-on-one conversation, but I also knew that like, I tend to talk about myself as a way yes. to relate to whatever is happening. Yeah. And, um, and I think a lot of us have struggle with feeling like, why do I always talk about myself? Why am I always bringing this back to myself? Because you do, you see people on these, you do see those comments where it's like, oh, this person talks about themselves all the time and they're so self-centered. And so, yeah, I did feel like, am I, am I self-centered? Am I, do I just find myself so interesting that I have to interrupt people all the time? And I'm like, no, it's like, it's the jerk, it's the conversation and the exploration that is so amazing. And um, yeah, I get excited about everything. And, and, yeah. um, and I'm trying to show you that I totally right. understand where you're coming from. I'm trying yeah. to empathize. Oh yeah, I got that too. But I remember my very first boyfriend, he had a close friend who made a comment to him about me who said, this was like my early twenties. And his, his friend was like, Tasha really talks about herself a lot. And he told me that, and it killed me like it just I spend so much time caring about other people and to hear someone say that oh like it killed me and now and it's still gotten to the point like now ever since then whenever I'm at a party and whenever especially if I'm at a party where I'm meeting a lot of people for the first time I become hyper aware of how much turn taking I am taking up to the point sometimes where it interrupts me being able to follow what they're saying <laughs> because I'm like, make sure you take a turn, make sure, make sure that you give them a turn, make sure that you don't inter- interrupt, you know, and I'm just trying to be a decent person mm-hmm. who doesn't just talk about herself all the time. And, and now it, it gets to a point where I have like this, uh, this coping strategy, I guess, of like when I feel my turn has been too long, I'll say, anyway, we were talking about you saying this. <laughs> and I, I always do that now. And I've traced it back to that guy who told his, my boyfriend that I talk about myself a lot. It left wow. a mark. Yeah. Wow. 
That's interesting. I know I have the same issue with these with these interviews because I feel, you know, the whole reason I started this podcast was an excuse to have intentional conversations with people I find interesting. Like it's totally yeah. selfish. Yeah. <laughs> that part I will admit is selfish. Uh, and then I just put it out there and I hope it I hope people listen. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I am very conscious of, you know, this is their interview, this is their moment. I am asking questions. I am the journalist. Why am I still talking about my university? experience. Yeah, I do the same. I do the same. I think so many ADHDers do because I think at some point we've all been kind of accused of like being self-centered in one way or another, whether it's not, whether it's about our punctuality or, you know, like the environment that we share with other people that we're not keeping tidy or, or the amount of conversation we dominate. I think we've been accused of that. Definitely. And there's a sense, and there's a sense that there is appropriate behavior Mm-hmm. And we don't naturally come by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have to like put all of our energy and we have to really be like, okay, this is yeah. a, this is a situation where I need to act appropriately. It's not a safe place like home. So I have to put all of my mental energy into like being socially appropriate. And I think that's why this, you know, the, the conversation of masking is so interesting too, yeah. because it's so wide ranging in terms of how people mask. And, and I know it's also sensitive in terms of, some of the serious masking that happens in like the autistic community. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, there's this whole, this whole sense of like ADHDers are co-opting terminology. And I don't know how I feel about that, but I, I, don't, I don't know have an much about that it, at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know much about that. I'll have to look more into that. But I think, well, I had, I had made a post about masking and I ended up taking it down. Cause I was like, I don't really, I'm just talking out of my ass. I don't know what I feel <laughs> like. I was like, I felt like masking was something that I related to. And I sort of saw these moments in myself, but I also realized that this is like a big research topic that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And, you know, I also have ADHD. So I tend to think I'm an expert in things after researching for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, but it is, you know, thinking about like, I think at the crux of it is really that idea of like, what is that there's a sense of what is appropriate and a sense that like, we don't necessarily naturally do that. And, mm-hmm. and so we really have to be mindful and like concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> in, and that takes so much energy, like so much cognitive load. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I have a tendency to like burst into laughter at incredibly inappropriate times like funerals. Um, or, you know, if my kids like, you know, if my kid injures himself or herself, like in the playground, my nervous reaction is to laugh. And I think, you know, and for a long time, I just thought I was a psychopath. I didn't didn't realize (laughs) that there was any sort of neurological reason for this. Yeah. It's funny, like how, like before we had the explanation of ADHD, how we made sense of the world we were in or how we made sense of ourselves in the world that we're in. Right. Just like, yeah. Like, Oh, I must be a psychopath. Oh, I must not care about anybody. Oh, I must just, uh, what was my, I must be just a stupid person who works hard. And then you're like, why do I have such self-esteem issues? I know. Oh my God. Like why, why do I not respect myself at all? Why don't I let myself go to bed? What a decent time, you know? Yeah, totally. Why, why is this an issue? Mm. But yeah. All right. So, so you do have yoga classes and you can, how can somebody sign up for your classes? How can somebody find more about you or reach out yeah. to you in the world? Yeah. Uh, I have a website, um, ADHDyoga.ca or ADHDyoga.com. Uh, they're 
lead you to the same place. Um, I have an online membership. I have a huge library of classes and I also am building a tiny little uh, library of little mini classes for specific like ADHD issues like digestion and sleep and things like that. And then I teach live classes as well. Um, yeah, so you can find me at, oh, and I also teach private classes if you wanna chat with me or if you wanna have like a more specific customized class. Um, so my website is adhdyoga.ca and if you want to just find me as a person, you can find me on Instagram at adhd.yoga. Uh, you'll find me there doing weird stuff, I guess. <laughs> weird stuff with stickies. Yep. With, with my post-it notes, <laughs> classically. Yep. Yeah. That came out of not knowing how to use Canva. That was a day where I tried to learn Canva, had a meltdown and thought, never again, <laughs> I'm going back to paper. Oh, I love that because I feel like, I feel like people with ADHD have a deep connection to post-it notes. Totally. That's totally <laughs> so it. It's like, there's, you know, there's multi layers to using the post-it note and you're, you should totally. own that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally did. I'm like, oh, because you know what? I went to, I went to counseling, uh, as so many of us do, and this is with my diagnosis, but I wasn't going for, I like the person I was with didn't have a, an ADHD background. She didn't understand it really. And I explained to her at her first appointment that I have ADHD and explained to her what that meant to me. And she's like, well, have you tried using post-it notes? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, of course I have. And of course my entire apartment is plastered in them. Yes, I've used post-it notes, but that's like, that's kind of the joke. Just like, just like ADHD and like our distractibility with like getting distracted by the squirrel, like the squirrel joke is like this kind of joke, this ongoing joke the ADHD community has. I feel like post-it notes are the same deal. I think you're totally right. I think you're right. <laughs> but that's why I kept them. That's why they're there. So Right. It's mm -hmm. for those of us who were, who decided we wanted to stop writing on our hands. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That's how and I survived university. I know, right? <laughs> I ran out of space. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knew my business and what I should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're an adult when you've transferred from writing on your hand to using post-it notes. <laughs> yeah. Portable paper. Yes. That will stick to things. Yeah, totally. That's the transition. <laughs> But that reminds me, the one thing I do have, which is like a fairly new question that I want to incorporate into these episodes is, is yeah. the number four. If you could rename ADHD to something else, what would you call it? Did you have something prepared? I had a couple. I was like really thinking about it because I was like, do I just want to like, I was really thinking about it. So one is creativity surplus disorder. <laughs> So, just an abundance of yeah. tangents and creativity in every direction. I felt like that really captured it. Um, creativity surplus disorder. The other one, just to be more accurate in terms of like the, to counter like the taboos that so many women especially have to like, have to in, uh, address or encounter when trying to get a diagnosis. Like we're not diagnosed often because we're not hyperactive. That's everybody's picture in their head is that hyperactive little boy who's jumping around and most of us don't have that. Um, and there's, and, it, and there's a, the misconception that it's just really about attention. We don't have a deficit. We have a, we have inconsistency. Like mm -hmm. we have plenty. It's just in many directions and it shows up at unpredictable times. <laughs> um, so, and then our emotion, like there's no, like emotional regulation isn't in the definition at all. And it's such an important piece. So what I came up with <clears throat> was emotion and executive functioning disorder. It is nothing fancy, but it'd be EEFD. 
Okay. And I thought that captured it. That was more like clinically accurate, that it's not very fun. But I felt like that would get rid of some of the, tab the taboos that I, or not the taboos, the misunderstandings that come with ADD. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure. Or ADHD. Well, ADD is just so so ungoogleable. I don't know why anybody know. came up with that acronym to begin with. I, that's I the only reason I'm, I'm like very pro ADHD is just because it's easier to Google. It's easier to Google. Yeah, too. But the thing I don't like about um, the ADHD is that it makes like the hyperactivity part, like it makes it sound like that's a necessary piece mm -hmm. and it's not. That's, well, I, I think it's not until you make the connection of where your hyperactivity is, you know, in your like brain when, or your body. Exactly. And so once mm. I started thinking about hyperactivity in terms of like errant thoughts and rumination and conversation inattentiveness, you know, like what, once I started realizing that that was just like one of the many spokes in the wheel of, of yeah. hyperactivity, I was like, Oh yeah, of course I have all of those things. I just yeah. don't have the like cocaine addict from a 1980s yeah. movie feeling about me. Yeah, like bouncing my leg up and down and like playing with pens like crazy. Yeah. Uh, like, I know, but yeah, it's tr that's true. Like the hyperactivity, it's like, it's brain or body. And I definitely now, because I've always been a chatty kid, uh, so many conversations, like if I talk to somebody on the phone, some, to somebody new, like a new friend, uh, usually our first conversation on the phone ends with them being like, wow, I've never talked to anybody on the phone for this long before. <laughs> You're right. That is totally a piece, but it's not an easily understood piece to anyone who went, who, who doesn't look any deeper than the name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It took me years of being suggested by my therapist that I had ADHD where, where I was like, yeah, I, I don't think that's it because I'm yeah. not hyperactive. And, and, and you hear that over and over and over again. Yeah, totally. What, what name would you, alternative name have you come up with? Oh, I haven't answered that question. I don't know. Oh, come uh, on now. <laughs> I just started asking the question. I'm, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm doing research. <laughs> no. I feel like even the term disorder, I struggle with disorder. And I, I know I was with, struggling with that too. Yeah. I struggle with this. I mean, I talk about this with my therapist because she's like, you have to honor the fact that this is a struggle and that you've had to work hard. And she talks about it as the brick, uh, you know, on my ankle and mm -hmm. that, you know, you have to like honor that. You can't just sort of always talk about this, like super, it's a superpower because then you start getting into the sort of toxic positivity elements yes, of, yeah. of like, there's nothing bad about this. This is wonderful. And sometimes that can be off-putting yeah. and, 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 you know, and then you can start, we, we have so much self-doubt anyway, when it comes to whether we even have it, you know, yes, whether totally. we even need medication, you know, it's like being at an eye doctor where they're like, is this one clear or is this one clear? And you're like, I don't yeah, remember. Can yeah. you go back to the first one? Am I going to get the wrong glasses? You know, like <laughs> there's so much self-doubt. So I think, you know, I really, I, I, I don't think of it as a disorder. Um, but I'm also realize I'm in like the honeymoon phase of feeling mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, everything makes sense now. And I'm so happy. Like I haven't really gone back to a sense of like, okay, how can I really deal with some of the things I haven't been able to manage, mm -hmm. um, that led me to get the diagnosis in the first place, you know, that yeah. there's, there's a lot there. I think there's another name. I think there's another word that we need to come up with that encompasses all of that. You know? I know. Me and too. I so. know. I really thought about it for a long time and I'm like, I don't know. Like, and I was trying to think like, what is it about ADHD that I don't like? And that's why I included like an emotional regularity and uh, irregularity, uh, no, emotional 
dysregulation. There we go. And uh, executive function, because those like all like, I mean, attention is just one piece of executive function. And uh, so like, why is all the attention on attention? Huh? Like why? Because there's so much more to it than that. Um, But yeah, so I mean, it's not fancy. It's a pretty boring sounding thing, but I think it gets the job done. Emotion executive function disorder. Disorder again. I'm like, like I don't. I'm not sure how I feel about that word. But I mean, there were definitely stages in pre-diagnosis where I was in bad shape, and it felt like a disorder for sure. And it's taken a toll. That's for sure too. Yeah. Uh, like stuff that you have years. We have years to sort through and make sense of after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why there's been such a proliferation of diagnoses. This during the lockdown because totally. so many of us, our life got tossed up in the air and all the pieces fell and all of the, th- all of the ways in which we had been managing it unbeknownst to ourselves totally. um, was out the window. And, and suddenly this sort of lighthearted, lighthearted, relatable memes were like, Oh my God, I really need some help. <laughs> yes. I saw another meme. Oh, I saw it somewhere on somewhere on Instagram. It said, Either ADHDers need to be less relatable or I need to make an appointment with my doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sure that's happened to a lot of, it, it has, 100% has happened to a lot of people during COVID. They would like, saw, notice the struggle they couldn't avoid anymore. They had to face them. Yeah, I know. Well, and I think also just in talking to so many other women about this topic since being diagnosed, I think that that really kind of the delineation between whether you have it and whether you don't have it, kind of like you were saying with the, with the current episode, you know, like Mm -hmm. I would have felt so validated if somebody else had said, I saw you in that, you know, because we struggle so much with whether we actually have this because so many people relate to so many things about it. And, and then, you know, and then there's always the response of like, well, you, you know, you have ADHD if these issues really, really affect you negatively. And then I'm like, do they affect me negatively? I don't know. I've been okay. And so, uh, you know, does that mean I don't have it if I'm actually managing, you know, and, and, and do I not have it if I don't feel like I need medication? You know, all these questions we ask ourselves all the time. And and so I've decided that like, if you, if you start researching ADHD, if you read a book like Driven to Distraction, or you start listening to these podcasts and you feel for the first time in your life like deeply seen and validated in a way that feels like revolutionary, then I'm like, that's usually a tip off. Yeah. Yeah. You have it. If you're just sort of like, ha ha, I forget my keys moving on. Yeah. You know, then it's relatable. Um, All right. Well, thank you again so much for, for meeting with me and chatting with me. And it was delightful. I had uh, loved getting to know more about you and. Thanks. I had so much fun. It was, uh, thanks so much for asking me to do this. This is great. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. 
If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.